The departure of Jim Mattis as Secretary of Defense in December has left something of a vacuum. Filling the position with acting secretaries has entangled the Trump administration up with the Vacancies Act. Joining me to sort all of this out, retired Marine Corps Major General Arnold Panaro, Chief Executive of the Panaro Group. Mr. Panaro, good to have you on. Glad to be here. Very important and timely subject. And you have some particular expertise in this whole appointments process based on your own previous employment. That's correct. Uh, I was for over 15 years a staff director of the Senate Armed Services Committee, the committee that processes all the national security nominations, civilians and military, and then since uh, for the last 20 years, I've been working as an advisor to the Department of Defense on the confirmation process. So it's an area where I've got a lot of uh, background history but and current expertise as well. Now, you have indicated that uh, Mark Esper, Secretary of the Army, is now acting in place of the departed. Mr. Shanahan can only act as acting secretary until July 30th. Why is that? Well, that's correct. So Two things that are important for your listeners to understand. First, when the Senate Armed Services Committee passed the historic Goldwater Nichols reform that enhanced civilian control of the military in 1986, we did not want the Vacancy Act, which is the act in Title V that typically is used to replace vacancies temporarily, to be used because we felt like the Department of Defense needed to have someone that had expertise. So we made the Deputy Secretary of Defense able under the statute in Title 10 to perform all the duties of the Secretary of Defense if that job was vacant or if the Secretary was disabled. That's why Pat Shanahan could have stayed in that job forever as the acting Secretary of Defense under that statute. Now, since there is no, since he resigned as the Deputy Secretary of Defense, uh, there's a vacancy there, so we don't have a Deputy Secretary that can step in under Title 10, so they're using the Vacancy Act under Title V. Under that, a acting can only be acting for 210 days, which starts when the vacancy occurred. Secretary Mattis's vacancy was, was January 1st, 2019. And so Mark basically, um, if not confirmed before July 30th, uh, will have to step aside at that point. If not nominated before July 30th, would have to step aside at that point. And the president has said he is going to nominate Mark Esper. At the point he nominates him, he's going to have to step aside because the Vacancy Act does not allow you to go through the confirmation process for the and be acting in the job to which you're being confirmed to. So that's why we have um, these changes that are going to occur here in the next uh, month. Over. Yeah, there's a uh, name for a situation like that, which we can't say on family radio, I guess. But in other words, if Shanahan had waited until July 29th, then Esper could only have served as acting for one day, just to clarify. That's correct. Uh, anybody that was put in under the Vacancy Act, at whatever point they were put in under, they only have 210 days because it starts from January the 1st. So he has to step down the moment the nomination comes through. And then as soon as the president sends his nomination to the Senate, as the president has intended that he will, he will step aside, probably go back to being secretary of the Army, where currently Ryan McCarthy, the undersecretary of the Army, is the senior official performing the duties of the secretary of the Army while he goes through the confirmation process. But this is not going to take a long time. Uh, Mark Esper is exceedingly highly qualified and capable. Uh, he's got tremendous support in the U.S. Senate, particularly on the Senate Armed Services Committee. I would expect the Senate Armed Services to have a thorough and objective but very timely and quick confirmation process. And I think the Senate floor will follow rapidly as well. 
And in between the Vacancies Act and Goldwater Nichols, can someone else be the senior official acting as the Secretary of Defense? They will have to use the Vacancy Act until they have a new confirmed Secretary of Defense. There's unfortunately in Title 10, we never anticipated that you would need somebody other than the deputy. But I think, frankly, my expectation is the committee will look hardly at, at this and say, look, we don't want to ever have to go through this again. And they'll probably add one or two more names under Title 10 to the people that can serve as Secretary of Defense and exercise the full powers so they don't have to use the Vacancy Act. One reason in Goldwater Nichols, we didn't want the Vacancy Act to be used. He can bring in, a president can bring in anybody that's a Senate-confirmed official, even if they don't know anything about national security. Theoretically, they could put a senior military official that's confirmed by the Senate, and that would certainly undermine civilian control of the military. So I, I would expect the Senate Armed Services Committee to take a, take a hard look at this situation and fix it legislatively in the NDAA, probably next year's bill, not this year's bill. We're speaking with retired Marine Corps Major General Arnold Panaro, chief executive of the Panaro Group. And just as a former officer and former observer of this from the Capitol Hill side of things, what effect do you feel this might have on the operations of the Pentagon? I mean, at some level, it goes on and on, even if no one was ever secretary. But at some level, say the Joint well, Chiefs of Staff, what's, what's it like in there? Well, I would say there's no impact on the military chain of command. The military chain of command is crystal clear, even in these circumstances, from the president to the secretary of defense, whether he's acting or confirmed, and the warfighting combatant commands. And that's gone off like clockwork. There's never been any question about the secretary's authority to basically execute deployment orders from the president. Uh, only the secretary of defense can sign those. No one else in the department can, not even the chairman. Um, and frankly, as a military officer and somebody that's been involved with the department uh, for over 45 years, um, the Department of Defense doesn't miss a beat. I know there's a lot of, of academics out there, and I know there's a lot of think tank experts that are talking about, oh, this is horrible, and you know, the, he doesn't have full authority and everything. I, I've got to tell you, I'm over in the Pentagon almost every day, and they're executing on the policy level. They're executing on the operational level. They're executing on the executive level and acquisition level. They've got extreme, extremely competent individuals serving in these positions, even when they don't have a, a confirmed person. Some some of them are the people that have been nominated for that position and, and are serving, and some of them are performing the duties of. But in each of the positions that, that people are talking about, you've got very, very capable people. And certainly the military, the changeover and all the five of the seven joint chiefs are changing over, including the chairman. Uh, they've nominated and the Senate's already confirmed most all of them, uh, exceedingly capable individuals. The new combatant commanders are in place. So frankly, I think this is more of a academic exercise and think tank people that are kind of you know, circling and stirring the pot a little bit, and there really isn't any facts to back up concerns. Yes, you always would like to have people that are officially confirmed, but frankly, I haven't seen any degradation of their ability to give commands, give orders, and execute uh, on both budget programs as well as operational programs by the fact that there aren't Senate-confirmed people serving in those particular jobs. There are no vacancies. There are people in every one of these key jobs. Sure. And if you would maybe just elaborate on what are the non-delegable duties of the Secretary of Defense, and could any of those rise up to importance during this interstitial period? The department's lawyers have been looking at that. I personally didn't have the ability to go through Title X 
And, and what non-delegable means is that if they're in statute, duties that are prescribed only for that official in that office, you can't delegate them. And the Title Ten is thousands of pages long. And as one person, I didn't have the ability. I don't think there are very many, if any. But I mean, my guess is there are probably some in the command and control area. But they could, they'll have that covered, you know, through other means. So, um, but that's another reason why you don't want to have the Vacancy Act be used in the Department of Defense. Do you think this has any effect on perceptions of possible adversaries around the world? That's a really excellent question, and I think that's a valid point that some of the academics and think tank people make, and some people that have served in the Pentagon, it's because perceptions are reality, and, and I could see some adversaries that don't really understand the nature of how our statutes work and how our government work and the continuity of our government, even in circumstances like this. I could see where, where somebody could make the case that there's a perception issue. I personally don't see it, but I'm not going to say that it's not there. And it's probably a safe guess that Russia and China, for example, know pretty darn well how our statutes and authorities operate. I don't think Russia and China are under any illusion that if they did something that was um, not in our interest or they did something militarily, I think they fully understand that our Department of Defense is at the ready 24-7 and the repercussions would be quite serious for them. They, they would never, you know, I don't think they would have any illusions. It, you know, other countries maybe or other countries that think there's a vacuum, but things are getting decided over there every day. I mean, there's no, even though you, you hear people say, well, people are uncertain and this, that, and the other thing. I personally don't see that. Retired Marine Corps Major General Arnold Panaro is chief executive of the Panaro Group. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.